This is your morning wake-up call on Sports Country. Grab a cup of coffee and hang with us every weekday morning for the latest news, sports, and other things going on around the world and in your backyard. Now, here's your host, Gene Gums. Good morning, everybody. Six minutes past nine o'clock here in Middletown, Connecticut, waiting for the snow to fall. <laughs> Welcome to a Wednesday morning wake-up call. Big winter storm headed uh, our way, headed over most of the Northeast. Uh, we're talking 10 to 16 inches of snow here in the state of Connecticut. Yippee. Uh, so uh, got plenty of prep to do, get the snowblower ready to go. Get the generator ready to go. They're talking about blizzard conditions, so fun times. Uh, you know, I was just, before we started, I just, I was looking at the uh, the Facebook live feed, and there are just days when I look in the mirror, and I try not to look in the mirror very often because it's just not something I like to do, but I'm looking at this video and going, Jesus, I've gotten old. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, Jesus. Sometimes I wonder why I wanted to do this Facebook thing because I really don't like having my mug uh, on video. But anyway, I'm just looking especially old this morning. Um, the uh, Northeast 10 Conference, uh, the biggest Division II conference here in New England, has decided to cancel its winter sports season. That was announced yesterday. Uh, so men's and women's basketball, indoor track and field, swimming and diving, as well as men's ice hockey have all been canceled for the winter seasons. Um, my former school, uh, Franklin Pierce, uh, is a member of the Northeast 10, uh, along with uh, schools like uh, Bentley and Assumption and uh, Stonehill, Southern New Hampshire, uh, Merrimack, you know, and so, uh, uh, so AIC, American International College, or as we used to like to call it, almost in college. Um, anyway, uh, so they are going to postpone their winter season, just like the Ivy League has done here in New England. Uh, the Mass State College Athletic Conference, the MassCAC, also did their uh, canceled their season as well. They, uh, the Northeast Ten, said they are committed to having a regular spring season in 2021 uh, because the spring season back this year was the first thing canceled for everybody when this whole coronavirus thing started. So the Northeast Ten is pointing towards being able to have a spring season, uh, but their winter season is off. They did say in the statement that they are that each each of these schools has the ability, if they want to, to play independent contests over the winter. So if you want to play some non-conference games and you feel you can safely do so, uh, that's been left open. But there'll be no conference play, no conference championship for the Northeast 10 this year. Uh, other cancellations, it's like uh, that's what we do. It's like, you know, like you, you watch TV when a snowstorm's coming and it's all about, uh, you know, you watch all the school cancellations at the bottom. By the way, Boy, I tell you what, there's going to be some pissed off kids with what's going on here in the country now with all the distance learning that we've had over the years. The traditional snow day, folks, is over. You know, I remember when we were kids, it was like a snow day was like the greatest thing. And we didn't have them very often when I was a kid because, you know, we walked up, you know, uphill uh, 10 miles each way to go to school. But, you know, 
I remember going to school when it was actively snowing. You know, we'd have two, three inches of snow, and we're going to school. They don't now, but that's neither here nor there. But anyway, these kids, you know, kids love snow days. Well, we have already had several districts here in the state of Connecticut saying, hey, folks, guess what? There's going to be school tomorrow. Everybody's going to get on Zoom and have uh, classes tomorrow. Uh, not every school district, but a lot of them have. This is, I think this is the wave of the future. We are no longer going to have snow days. Your snow day is going to be involved, uh, is going to be having school at home. I mean, you can do it in your jammies, I guess. But uh, And good luck, by the way, with the parents. Can you imagine that? You know, your kids are home because they're not going to school on the bus, but they're going to have school at home. Yet it's snowing outside. There's a foot of snow. The kids want to go out and play in the snow. What do you think the parents' chances of getting their kids to concentrate uh, on uh, their Zoom classroom is? (laughs) Probably slim and none. Uh, So good luck with that, parents. I'm glad I don't have to deal with that anymore. Um, So anyway, uh, so the other cancellations that uh, I wanted to talk about, uh, the Big Ten, uh, It's of course, it's championship weekend. And uh, the Big Ten had scheduled other games for their teams that were not in the Big Ten championship. Well, two of those games are off now. Uh, The annual rivalry game between Indiana and Purdue that was supposed to be played on Friday has been canceled for the second time this year. Uh, actually third time this year, the second time in two weeks, third time this season. Uh, Michigan was supposed to play at number 18, Iowa, on Saturday. That has also uh, been canceled. Uh, so there have now been 125 games since late August that have either been postponed or canceled. You know, it's crazy. Uh, and we've had our first bowl cancellation. The Frisco Bowl, one of the big ones, has been canceled uh, because SMU – uh, had to withdraw from the game uh, because of COVID-19 problems. Uh, the University of Texas San Antonio was supposed to play SMU in the Frisco Bowl. Well, uh, San Antonio is now going to play in the first responders bowl on December 26th against a team yet to be determined. But And, and by the way, that's not going to be the only bowl game that's going to be canceled. We've already had a number of schools say that they're not going to participate in a bowl game, even if selected. With the number of bowl games we have now, there may not be enough teams to play. Even if the bowls want to go on, there may not be enough teams left to play. So uh, anyway, so we'll. That's the first one to fall. Um, and in this time where we are having smaller and smaller crowds, well, the University of Cincinnati has, go- has decided it's going to increase its crowd uh, for Saturday's American uh, Conference Championship game against Tulsa. Originally, they were only going to allow fifteen hundred fans. Uh, they got some kind of a variance from the state of Ohio, and they are now going to be allowed to have 6,000 fans. Uh, now, the stadium holds 33,000 people, so you know we're talking about you know 20% of the, uh, you know, or a little less than 20% of the stadium being full, but it's just, you know, it's fascinating. Not many schools are, are increasing fans, and it's a big game for Cincinnati. They're 8-0. Um, they are ranked sixth in the country. Tulsa is number 20 at 6-1. and one. If Cincinnati wins this and go 9-0, and oh, look, they're going to put themselves in a position to be one of those top six teams probably and have a chance to play in a New Year's Day bowl game. They won't be in the national championship picture because they won't be the top four, but it's still pretty prestigious. They'll have a chance to play uh, number six. And you know what? Look, what happens if, let's say, Ohio State loses in the Big Ten championship game? that's going to throw all kinds of things open. So it's not out of the realm of possibilities. That's a very, very big game uh, for Cincinnati this weekend. 
Uh, we have had a bunch of basketball games called off. Ohio State women's basketball team canceled their game Saturday against Iowa. They've had a spike, um, and they're not even sure if they're going to be able to play again before Christmas. Um, UCLA has postponed their men's basketball game or postponed their game last night against Long Beach State. Um, don't know when they're going to be able to resume play either. UNLV has paused in-person practices. Uh, you know, it's just one thing after another. Southern Cal has postponed its next three basketball games. I mean, nuts. You know, which is why, you know, I keep I, I keep looking at college basketball and we're seeing all this stuff going on and you wonder why they didn't just wait till after Christmas. You know, uh, there are games getting played, but not many. Look at look at the UConn men. I mean, a couple of games early, and then they had to shut down for a couple of weeks. They hope to be able to play on Sunday, all things, you know, being equal, and we don't have another spike. Uh, the UConn women had a chance to play last night, only their second game this season because of the coronavirus issues. We'll talk about that in a minute. Uh, but you, you just wonder, you know, why, why, why they bother. Uh, the NFL announced yesterday they have 14 new confirmed positive tests among players and 31 uh, positive tests among other personnel uh, in the latest round of testing. You know, and then, you know, if you look at the number of tests that they administer every week, uh, the percentage of people testing positive is small. But you can't, you know, look, we know we can't screw around with this, right? You just can't. Uh, You you know, and and I I forgot I was going to bring this up. Before uh, we got started, this is insane what happened. Did you see uh, the mayor of Dodge City, Kansas? Uh, Her name escapes me uh, at the moment, but she was forced to felt like she needed to resign uh, her position as mayor of Dodge City because she was interviewed for a story, I believe in USA Today, she was quoted in the article last Friday about a mask, a possible mask mandate in Kansas, and she said that she was in favor of it. Well, Dodge City, uh, the city commission voted four to one to impose a mask mandate with several, you know, several exceptions. But since that happened, that she has been subjected to all kinds of threats you know, uh, about uh, towards her and her family from people in the community. And so she didn't feel it was safe anymore, so she's resigned. And she said, you know what, I'm resigning because I don't feel safe, but at the same time, I feel like, you know, I said the right thing, and I still believe in the mask mandate. But it is nuts. This is what, this is what Donald Trump has spawned in this country with, uh, you know, the denial about the seriousness of the coronavirus. You know, Donald Trump didn't get serious about it until he got it. But we got a mayor forced to feel like she had to resign her job because of it. Absolutely insane. So, you know, so with all this stuff going on, I, I understand that the numbers are low in the NFL. But at the same time, you know, if if everybody says, ah, screw it, don't need to wear a mask, don't need to have the follow the safety protocols, it could get ugly in a hurry. And by the way, that that makes me wonder why. There was a story yesterday uh, that came out in the Associated Press. They got a hold of a league memo. I always wonder how they since they obtained a league memo. That means somebody in the in the on the team leaked it. 
But the NFL is not going to allow teams to mandate local bubbles during the postseason. I don't understand that. Look, we have seen that bubbles can work. We saw it work, you know, in the NBA. We saw it work in the NHL. You know, we have seen it work to a degree in college basketball when they did Bubbleville at Mohegan Sun, and there were all kinds of teams that were able to come in and safely play games. Why would the NFL be against a team, say, you know, for just to pick a team, the Green Bay Packers, they're getting ready to go into the postseason. Let's say they get a bye in the first week, which is likely. Why, why wouldn't the NFL allow them to take their players and their staff and make them stay in the same hotel in their area to reduce the chance that they are uh, exposed to the virus from somebody else? Why wouldn't the NFL be in favor of that? That makes no sense to me. You know, now they said teams can still have they can still pay for players who want to move into a hotel to avoid the risk of catching it from family or roommates, but they're saying that the team can't require it. You know what? If I'm an NFL team like the Packers or whoever, and I'm paying, you know, millions and millions and millions of dollars to this roster of 53 players plus, you know, your taxi squad guys and coaches, etc., and I want to, and I want to put them in a bubble because I think it, it's a big, it's a good uh, investment on my team's ability to play in the playoffs and perhaps get to the Super Bowl. I should be will, I should be able to do that. I, I don't. This goes to me against everything else the NFL has done in terms of mandating masks and you know all their protocols that they have for practices and games, and they're fining p- coaches for not wearing a mask during a game. And yet, if a team wants to try to make their team safer by putting them in a hotel, that's not okay. I don't get it. You know, and they said, the NFL, and again, I don't buy this. The NFL in it was quoted in the memo. It says, the decision is based upon an analysis of the frequency of positive cases in the league compared to the risk of significant spread among players and staff gathered for an extensive period of time at one hotel. If, if that group of players and coaches are gathered in one hotel for an extended period of time and they have no contact with the outside world, why would the why would the inc- there be an increase in risk? That doesn't make any sense to me whatsoever. I, I don't get it. So um I remember yesterday too I also I mentioned the NFL was going to be doing a uh a kid's version of a playoff game. I just thought, I was like, wow, it's kind of weird. Um, and, and I, and I made a joke about, you know, that they were going to have like, you know, you know, bug eyes on the players and stuff. I guess what? I wasn't far from wrong. Uh, there was a thing in, in the, uh, Boston globe this morning, Chad Finn had it. So they are going to do, they're going to overlay cartoon graphics in the game, the end zone is going to appear like it's filled with slime. I, I guess that's a, some kind of an homage to some show on Nickelodeon called Double Dare. I don't know anything about Nickelodeon. I don't watch it, but uh, so but it's gonna the, the, so the end zones are gonna look like they're filled with slime. Uh, on replays, players' eyes are going to appear to bug out of their heads. 
They're going to have all kinds of, uh, you know, cartoon graphics and stuff and, and, and bug eyes on the players on replays. I thought I, I was only joking when I said that. Uh, I, so I, I don't, you know, and, and, and it is going to have a SpongeBob SquarePants countdown special. It's going to be hosted by Von Miller of the Denver Broncos. Uh, Jim Nance and Tony Romo are going to make an appearance on it as well. The game is actually going to be broadcast by Noah Eagle uh, and Nate Burleson. And they're going to have a couple of uh, Nickelodeon stars, I guess, uh, uh, involved in the broadcast as well. But it just, <laughs> I, I, I guess, you know, the NFL leaving no stone unturned about getting new fans and getting getting more dollars. So weird. Um, let's see. I want to get to the UConn women's game. One other quick note. Um, the, uh, I mentioned the college football playoff rankings came out yesterday uh, and nothing really changed. Uh, Alabama still on top, Notre Dame two, Clemson three, Ohio State four. So the top four have all stayed the same. Uh, Florida, who lost to LSU on Saturday night, uh, dropped a spot. They are now at number seven. So they're in danger now of not having a chance to get into the top four. The only chance they have, they have to beat Alabama this week in the SEC championship game. Good luck. I mean, Florida's already lost twice. So, you know, you would think that that's going to disqualify them. But if they can beat Alabama and Ohio State gets upset uh, in the Big Ten championship game, perhaps they get a chance to sneak in. That's really the only chance that I think Florida or Cincinnati have to get into that. But uh, uh, And Coastal Carolina, by the way, not even uh, in the, on the radar despite the 11-0 record and wins over two ranked teams. Um, and you know what? They're probably not better than Cincinnati. They're not better than Florida. I get it. They're not better than probably the top four. Uh, but as I mentioned yesterday, you know, a team that has managed to go through and play 11 games and jump through hoops and, you know, play people at the last minute, you know, there should be some some reward for that. You know, and the college football committee should take that into consideration. They're rewarding a team like Ohio State that has only been able to play a handful of games because they came late to the party, yet a team that has been there all year, you know, kind of gets screwed. But, you know, politics. Uh, UConn women last night. Uh, opened up their Big East season, their return to the Big East. Uh, and if you look at the final score, I mean, they they thumped Seton Hall pretty good, 92-65. Um, not unexpected. But this game was, it was kind of ugly, to be honest with you. At least the first half was. UConn only led by eight at the half. I think it was uh, uh, like 38-30 to 30 at halftime. And... UConn turned the ball over 11 times in the first half. They didn't shoot well, uh, you know, and and kind of Seton Hall kind of took it to them. And as a matter of fact, there were times where UConn didn't even play good defense. They continued uh, to leave Lauren Park Lane open. She ended up with 29 points last night for Seton Hall, career high for her. But, you know, UConn, which prides itself on its defense a lot, in the first half was just kind of, eh, you know, leaving Seton Hall with wide open shots and, and I don't know whether it's, you know, look, you know, we've beaten them. We're 51 and 10 against Seton Hall. You know, uh, Seton Hall was picked to finish sixth in the Big East. So, you know, eh, you know, we'll fall out of bed and beat them. I don't know if it was that or not. I do know this. They came out in the second half and looked like a completely different team. So, Gito Ariema got his point across in the second half. You know, early on in the, in the third, Seton Hall got it to within six a couple of times. But UConn outscored Seton Hall 33-17 to in the third quarter. 
33 points in 10 minutes for this UConn team in the third quarter. So all of a sudden, that eight-point lead was a 24-point lead at the end of three. So he got his point across. And you could see the difference immediately in the second half. The defense pressure ratcheted up. All of a sudden, those open shots that Seton Hall were getting, everything was contested. And uh, UConn just rolled. Uh, I am so impressed with Paige Becker's I can't begin to tell you. Look, this is a girl that, you know, all the hype in the world, you know, the the top recruit for UConn, and everybody wasn't sure, you know, how she was. Everybody assumed she was going to be great, but she's going to be better than great. Last night, 25 points on 11 for 14 shooting. She had four rebounds, five assists. She could have had more assists. Or she had she made some unbelievable passes. You know, players couldn't finish. But uh, this young lady is amazing. Uh, she can shoot. She can. She sees the floor so well. Some of the passes she made last night, and I think part of the problem was, is that her her teammates couldn't believe the passes that she was making. One of them, Olivia Nelson Adota, they were on a two on one fast break, and Becker's looked like she was going to go from the right side and go up and and lay it in. She made a behind the back pass right into Olivia Nelson Adota's hands, and. She dropped. She dropped the ball, and ended up, they ended up turning it over. That should have been an easy layup. But and there were other times that you know she's at mid court and she's making these long passes. One a bounce pass, another an over the top pass for easy layups. Um, she's special. She may be at the end of the day. She may be one of the top you know three four players ever to play at UConn. She's going to be up there with Brianna Stewart. She's going to be up there with Super. I mean, they've had some great ones. Maya Moore. Paige Becker's name is going to be up there. She was dynamite. Uh, Kristen Williams, big game as well, 21 points. Adota, as I said, you know, other than dropping that ball, she was 7 of 9 from the floor. She had 16 points, 10 boards. Uh, UConn out-rebounded Seton Hall in the game as they expected. One thing Seton Hall did do early, they tried to pack it in, make UConn shoot from the outside, and UConn was missing a lot of shots early. But, you know, look – Seton Hall knew how big this UConn team was, you know, and uh, they said before the game that they were not, they did not want to get beat inside. And they did a pretty good job of that early, you know, and UConn didn't shoot especially well from the outside. They only shot 27% from three point range. And again, the 20 turnovers is not going to make Gino Oriema very happy, but what he has to be happy with is the way his team responded in the second half as, you know, he lit them up. And, uh, you know, they responded and came out uh, with an easy victory. And now UConn, a quick turnaround. They have a game on Thursday at home against Creighton. Uh, They have a couple of games very quickly. They have Creighton on Thursday, and uh, then they have another game coming up on Saturday. They play Xavier. Both those games are at home. Uh, So uh, I assume UConn left uh, Seton Hall last night, and they'll ride out the snowstorm of Gamble, and then they got to hope that Creighton can get there. Uh, for the game on Thursday. The snow is not supposed to end until Thursday morning here. So uh, depending on when Creighton is planning on coming in, that could be uh, a a bit dicey about the weather, so we'll see. Uh, A couple of the local games last night. uh, The Central Connecticut men lost to St. Francis of Brooklyn, uh, 91-86. St. Francis now 2-1 in the Northeast Conference. Uh, Central Connecticut, which gave UConn, uh, you know, a bit of a challenge for a little while. And, 
Its opening game is now 1-5. and five. Uh, The Central women also lost to uh, St. Francis of Brooklyn 80-77 uh, to 77 last night. Uh, and the Central women are now 0-2. The Sacred Heart women beat uh, LIU uh, last night. They actually trailed this game uh, at halftime but came back to end up winning it by about six or eight points. So congratulations to them. Uh, and one other quick uh, local college note. Hockey East announced yesterday that everybody is going to qualify for the postseason tournament in both men and women this year uh, because of the whole COVID-19 thing. They're not sure how many teams are going to be able to play their full complement of game and games, and so they have just decided that uh, uh, they are going to allow everybody to get into the tournament. I think it's, you know, and I think there's really only two or three schools that don't make it anyway, so it's not that big a deal to uh, to add another one. So uh, I think it's a good move by Hockey East. It is 30 minutes past the hour. we got to take a break. When we come back, uh, we'll talk about the Celtics. They had a preseason game last night. You're listening to The Wake Up Call on Sports Country. 32 minutes past the hour. Welcome back to The Wake Up Call here on a Wednesday morning. So the Celtics opened up their preseason games last night. Now, I say games, and I mean literally it's two games. The preseason is only two games for the Celtics this year. Uh, and if last night is any indication, they've got some work to do. Uh, it was uh, ragged would be the best way to put it. The Celtics' best two players, Jason Tatum Jalen Brown, uh, combined to go five for 24 last night. One for nine on three-pointers. I mean, it was just uh, gross. Uh, Jalen Brown, especially in the first half, he was one for 11 in the first half with three turnovers. I mean, he had some rebounds, you know, which is great, but uh, offensively, the Celtics looked out of rhythm last night. Uh, now, they did get, there were some positive signs last night. Uh, their rookie point guard, uh, Peyton Pritchard, looked really good, 16 points last night. Uh, Jeff Teague, a guy that they signed as a free agent. Uh, who is going to have to play a lot of minutes with Kemba Walker out, uh, 18 points last night, four for four from three-point range, a guy that's, uh, you know, shoots about 35% for his career from three-point range, looked pretty good last night. Uh, Robert Williams looked pretty good last night for the Celtics, takes up a lot of room. Uh, now, the Celtics did not have, obviously, Kemba Walker is going to be out till sometime probably late in January. Uh, Daniel Tice did not play last night. He had a sore back. Uh, but everybody else did. Uh, Marcus Smart played, took a couple of charges. He did, he did what Marcus Smart always does. Um, so, you know, but if you're the Celtics and you only have one more preseason game to go, uh, I guess, you know, you, you got to be, if you're Brad Stevens, I would imagine you're a little bit concerned. I mean, you're not going to lose your mind over it. You, it's, it's a long season. But uh, Jalen Brown, uh <laughs> Uh, needs to pick it up, and uh, Jason Tatum obviously needs to play better. You know, and, and if those two guys don't play well with Kemba Walker out, whew, you know, but this is still a very talented Celtics team. I think they're still going to be one of the uh, two or three best teams in the Eastern Conference this year, so uh, no need to panic. But last night was not pretty, not pretty at all. Uh, if you are a Milwaukee Bucks fan, you are very happy. Um Giannis signed a max extension with the Milwaukee Bucks last night. He will be with them for another five years. 
$228 million contract. Good Lord. It does have an opt-out clause in 2025 if he wants it. But, uh, look, this was a no-brainer. Uh, if you're the Bucks, you had no choice here. Now, there was some question about whether Giannis was even going to sign. He made some comments like, that, you know, you know, he wasn't sure what he was going to do. Now, you know, his teammates all, uh, when it was his birthday back in December, they all kind of sent him, they all sent him pens uh, kind of as a joke to say, hey, you know, sign that extension. Uh, but if you're the Bucks, look, he is one of the, uh, he's on the Mount Rushmore of Milwaukee Bucks players. He is probably, you know, one of the top three players in Milwaukee Bucks history. You know, the others being Oscar Robertson, no question, and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. You know, uh, Abdul-Jabbar is a guy that, you know, everybody thinks of him as a Los Angeles Laker. But Kareem Abdul-Jabbar uh, was part of Milwaukee's only NBA title back in 1971. And it was after that, um, you know, he wanted to trade a couple of years later and they traded him to the Los Angeles Lakers. But, he, you know, he made his bones, really, with the Milwaukee Bucks. So, uh if you're the Bucks, you had no choice. My, my God, can you imagine uh, the, the fans would have lost their minds if they had not re-signed him? Now, you know, the other part of this is is for, for that $228 million, he's got to help this team take the next step. Look, they have been one of the best teams in the NBA, especially in the Eastern Conference, but they still have yet to get to the NBA title since Giannis joined the team. He was the 15th overall pick in the 2013 draft out of Greece. But he has yet to get this team to the NBA Finals. You know, they got, you know, and last year was, an, you know, an example. Now, obviously, last year was a weird year with the bubble and everything else, but uh, he they lost in five games to the Miami Heat. And Giannis didn't even play game four and most of game five because of a sprained right ankle. You know, uh, they made the Eastern Conference Finals in 2019. They had a 2 nothing lead over the Toronto Raptors and then lost the next four. So, you know, this is a big investment in the, in the guy. He's 26 years old, and, you know, these are his best years. These are his prime years, and uh, they've got to take that next step if, uh, if he's going to, uh, quote, unquote, earn his money. Uh Tara Vanderveer last night became the winningest women's basketball coach in history. Uh, the number one Stanford Cardinal with an easy victory last night. You know, by, they beat uh, the University of the Pacific by like 40 points. But for Vanderveer, that was her 1,099th career victory. Uh, she is 67 years old. Get this career record. 1,099 wins and only 253 losses. That is unbelievable. Uh, now, she hasn't been at Stanford the whole time. She started uh, uh, at uh, Idaho, believe it or not. She was in Idaho for a couple of years, then moved on to Ohio State where she spent five years uh, and then moved on to Stanford uh, where she has 947 wins and 202 losses at Stanford. And, and by the way, you know, it's an impressive number. Don't get me wrong. And, you know, Pat Summit had the record before that. Impressive. Gina Wariema has 1,093, so, you know, at some point he will pass Vanderveer if he if he coaches longer than her or if his team continues to be what we think it's going to be for the next four years. But a lot of these numbers that Gino and Pat Summit 
and Tara Vanderveer all racked up were, and I, from the old days, the days when there were only one, well, four or five really good women's basketball teams in the country. You know, we've talked all along about, you know, Gino said he wants to make UConn bad for basketball again. You know, and that was back in the days when UConn was killing everybody. But those there were days when, you know, the only good teams in college basketball were UConn and Stanford, you know, and, uh, and Tennessee. And everybody else was just kind of playing, you know, and, you know, they, they'd still get some wins, but there was a big disparity in women's basketball. We don't have that anymore. You know, instead of having three, four, five teams, we now probably have a legitimate 15 to 20 teams in college women's basketball that can contend. A lot like men's basketball. I mean, men's basketball is probably a little bit more competitive than that. Well, no, it is. It's not not probably. Um, but we have gotten to a point where the playing field has been leveled a little bit. So uh, it's not to take anything away from Tara Vanderveer. 1,099 victories is awesome. And only 253 losses is ridiculous. All right? But, you know, we have to there, – there is some perspective here. You know, you're not going to see people, I don't think, new coaches ever rack, rack up numbers like that again, like she did or Pat Summit or Gino, just because it's going to be harder and harder uh, you know, to have seasons where you go 34 and one, you know, or 35 and oh, you know, it, and Gino's done that a lot. Tara Vanderveer did that a lot. Um, you know, again, not taking anything away, but I think this is going to be harder and harder. It's kind of like in baseball. We aren't going to probably ever see anybody win 300 games as a pitcher ever again. Now the one the, the the record that might be in danger is the the career strikeout record for pitchers. With at the if things don't change in baseball, uh, some of the numbers for strikeouts may go through the roof. Although with pitchers pitching fewer innings, maybe not. But we're not going to see. There's there's nobody cares about wins anymore. You know, all of a sudden wins has become a statistic that doesn't matter, <laughs> which I still have a problem with. You know, uh, wins don't matter anymore. You know, people will tell you that. Uh, you know. Uh, RBI don't matter anymore. Run, you know, it, it's how it's how far you hit the ball. You know, uh, how many home runs are you hitting? That's all they care about. Uh, so, uh, so you know, it's like it's like that in, in in every sport. There are just things that that aren't the same as they used to be. Saves. People are saying now saves doesn't mean anything. Now I will say this. You know, saves in baseball is one of those stats I never understood because you can get a save. Uh, if you pitch three innings, if your team's up 12 nothing and you pitch the last three innings, you get a save. That's just stupid. Uh, frankly, a guy coming in with a three-run lead in the ninth inning shouldn't be eligible to get a save. That's not a save. That's just like, you know, a walk in the park. To me, uh, they need to change the save statistic. I'd like to see that be like, uh, you know, protecting a one-run lead. That's, to me, a lot more impressive than coming into a 4-1 game in the ninth inning uh, and racking up a save. Uh, but, you know, so anyway, it's just a, an example of how numbers change. So not to take anything away from Tara or Gino or Pat Summit or anybody else that's, you know, that's racked up those kind of numbers, but it's something we will probably never see again. we got to take a quick break. When we come back, we've got some baseball news. Uh, Scott Boros was uh, 
spouting off again yesterday, as he uh, has been known to do once or twice. Uh, we'll talk about that and uh, a couple of the transactions in baseball when we come back. You're listening to the Wake Up Call on Sports Country. Welcome back to the Wake Up Call, and uh, we've got about uh, about another 10, 12 minutes before we get out of here this morning. Um, so we are already kind of having a bit of a showdown in Major League Baseball, and you know we're still, you know, what two months, two and a half months away from when spring training is supposed to start. Uh, but there is already talk about whether the season will start on time where you have a couple of owners that are dead set against it and basically want to push everything back to May. And there are owners that are saying that they want their players to be vaccinated before spring training even begins. Well, folks, that's not going to happen. Just like we talked about yesterday when there was uh, uh, that story about the NFL not trying to get the vaccines early, which they shouldn't be able to. Uh, but, it, you know, you're talking about wanting to vaccinate Major League Baseball players prior to the start of February spring training. Well, that can't happen because the vi- the vaccines are likely not to be widely available by then. You know, th- we're going to get millions and millions more doses between now and then, but there are at-risk populations that are going to get the vaccine long before healthy athletes in their 20s and 30s get it, you know, and, and again, as it should be. But if that's the case, you know, and this is something that's going to have to be negotiated with the Major League Base, uh, Baseball Players Association and with a, with a labor contract coming up to be renewed or to be renegotiated after next year, this could get really testy. Um. You know, and look, Major League Baseball Players Association is adamant they want a full 162-game season this year. The owners are already talking about, uh, let's let's dial that back and let's plan on, you know, 140-ish games. You know, and look, I can live with that. Would I like to see 162 games as normal? Yeah, yeah, yes. But when you have owners that are quoted in a story in the USA Today yesterday saying, that I don't see a snowball's chance in hell that spring training can start with protocols in place. Uh, that's a problem. Um, but there's no way these guys are getting vaccines beforehand. No way. You know, and now Scott Boros yesterday, uh, Boros was uh, met with the the media over Zoom, and Scott Boros never saw a, a reporter he didn't like to talk the ears off of. And, uh, look, he said we have to have a full season because if we don't, you are basically setting baseball back by a couple of years. Think about this. And and he, this is, he makes a good point here. When you look at last year, 60 games, there wasn't a starting pitcher that threw a hundred innings last year. Right. I mean, you know, most starting pitchers were probably, I think at the most were throwing, you know, 70 innings, 80 innings. Well, now, if you know, when you go into this coming 2021 season, you're not suddenly going to ask a guy to double his innings pitched, are you? And if you are, uh, you know, that's going to be a struggle to get him to 150 innings. And like Boro said, if you, but even if you, if you don't do that, well, then 
what's going to happen in 2022. If we don't get into 150 next year, in 2022, they're not going to be able to get up to the, the workload you would normally expect them to have, which is to get up closer to 200 innings pitched. Um, so, you know, this is, again, it's going to have to be negotiated with the Players Association. You know, and a lot of this, again, is going to be about owners and profits and not wanting to have a ballpark open without fans there. So if they can postpone the season for a month and maybe get a better chance of having butts in the seats later in the season for more games, they would rather do that. You know, and, and Boris says, look, I, I, you know, I recognize that owners lost money, but there were also teams that made money last year, even with no fans. One of the, you know, and one of the teams that he pointed out, the Atlanta Braves, he said they were making millions of dollars last year, even without fans. So, you know, but we had players that lost two thirds of their salaries last year. He said, everybody lost. He said, but that being the case, why wouldn't we be pushing to play more games, not fewer? You know, and look, I think they could. Why can't they start spring training in February? Look, if we can have college football and we can have, you know, college basketball and we can have the NFL and everybody can play. And are we going to have some shutdowns or are we going to have people that can't play for a while? Yes, probably. But as February rolls along, even though the Major League Baseball players aren't getting the vaccine, there will be millions of others in the United States that are getting it. As we go on, every week that passes, the chances of getting the virus will get lower and lower and lower. And hopefully by May or June, we will have that herd immunity that everybody's talking about that will allow us to take the masks off and go to games and go to concerts. And But let's, you know, we don't need to just say shut everything down until then. You know, just you continue. Do you have spring training and you wear a mask? Why not? They could do that. They were doing it last summer when they had their short spring trainings. Why can't they do it in February in Florida? I don't get it. Uh, a couple of transactions yesterday. Uh, the Texas Rangers signed David Dahl, free agent outfielder, to a, a $2.7 million one-year contract. Colorado did not. Uh, offer him a contract. He is coming off of shoulder surgery. Uh, he missed um, about a month of the shortened season last year on the injury list because of that shoulder. Uh, only hit 183, no homers, nine runs batted in. But this is a guy that was an, an all-star in 2019. In 2019, he hit 302, 15 homers, 61 runs batted in. Now, he, he's, he's a career 286 hitter in four years. So... Uh, you know, look, this is a, this is a steal. Now I, I get that, you know, he played in Colorado and, you know, people are going to say, well, you know, it's Colorado, but he still is a 284 career hitter and not all his games were played in Colorado. Uh, so if that shoulder is healthy, uh, they're going to just plug him right into left field. And this would be a great sign for the Texas Rangers. Now at the same time that they did that, they traded their closer. Uh, they sent their uh, closer, Rafael Montero, to the Seattle Mariners yesterday for a 17-year-old uh, pitching prospect named Jose Corniel uh, and a player to be named later. Uh, Montero is 30 years old, uh, 
appeared in 17 games last year, was 8-for-8 in save situations, but his numbers weren't exactly eye-popping. He pitched to an ERA of over four. (laughs) Not exactly what you're looking for out of the bullpen. You know, and look, uh, he was in Texas for a couple years. He spent part of four seasons with the Mets. Uh, you know, this is a guy, and while he was with the Mets, he was 6-16 six and 16 with a 5-3 ADRA. So they traded their closer, but it ain't like they traded, uh, you know, uh, Mariano Rivera. So, uh, and they get a young pitching prospect in return. So Chris Young has been very active since taking over uh, as the uh, – as the general manager in Texas. And how about this? Manny Ramirez. <laughs> I can't believe we're still talking about this guy. He's 48 years old. He is going to begin the season playing baseball in Australia for the Sydney Blue Sox. 48 years old. <laughs> and, uh, you know, their coach is all happy. Shane Barclay, who is the coach there, said, you know, we knew there'd be a Manny show, but he said it's been fun. He said the buy-in from him has been great. He said watching him swing a bat, you're 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 growing. There's no way this guy is 48. Uh, so uh, he said they're expecting him to hit a lot of long balls. <laughs> All right. Well, you know, look, Manny's been on kind of a uh, rehabilitation tour over the last few years. He's been uh, he's appeared a number of times at Fenway Park. Now he didn't last year with the COVID thing, but. You know, he's been around. He, he came on the air uh, on Nesson a couple of times during games, laughing and joking and, you know, just trying to rehabilitate his image after, you know, the PED suspensions. You know, I mean, this is a guy that was suspended twice, 50 games back uh, uh, in 2011 and then a 100-game suspension. You know, and this so, you know, he's not making the Hall of Fame, but he obviously loves the game of baseball. Doesn't know what the hell else to do with himself, so he's down in Australia playing. God love him. Uh, last thing this morning, Boxing Hall of Fame. Floyd Mayweather and Layla Ali will be inducted into uh, the International Boxing Hall of Fame and Museum. Uh, they are one of about uh, ten or two of about ten people that were uh, elected by the Boxing Writers Association. Uh, so good for them. I mean, Floyd Mayweather was a lot of fun to watch. Guy won eleven world titles in five different weight divisions. Uh, impressive. Uh, Vladimir Klitschko was also uh, uh, inducted as well. And uh, Leila Ali, of course, the daughter of the greatest, Muhammad Ali. And, you know, I'm still not a fan of female boxers, but be that as it may, you could just call, you just call me a male chauvinist pig if you want. But watching women beat the crap out of each other does absolutely nothing for me. But Ali, uh, uh, great genes, finished 24-0 and in her career. Uh, and uh, is now in the Boxing Hall of Fame along with her father. That is going to do it for us here this morning. No show tomorrow. Why? Because I'll be digging out from the 10 to 16 inches of snow. My wife has to work tomorrow, so I'm going to have to dig the driveway out and pull out the snowblower and and get her able to get off to work on uh, Thursday morning. So no show tomorrow, but we will be back Friday. Dan Zampano, of course, will join us to talk NFL football. We leave you this morning with some music from Tony Bennett and Lady Gaga. And I can't think of a better way to end our show this morning with what's coming tonight. Here's Winter Wonderland. We'll see you on Friday. You've been listening to The Wake Up Call on Sports Country.